God's word or do we believe man's word? Now, that's really the first place we have to come to. Where do we start from? Now, there are many arguments and things that could be looked at to study the validity of God's word. But for the point of our study here, we're not going to take a long time on that. We'll do that another time. But I want you to understand my starting point. The starting point that I have is to say that this is the word of God. And so if this is God's word, then I believe this above man's word. Now, if you don't believe that, you're going to really struggle with everything else we look at because everything's going to come from that standpoint of what does God say. The truth is this, it's not possible to have both. Some people say, well, you know, I like to just pick and choose. Unfortunately, God says that's impossible. He says, we either walk in the light or we walk in darkness. He says, we either gather or we scatter. We're either for Christ or we're against Christ. There's no middle ground with the Lord. So we all have a bias. Where do we start from? Is it God's word or man's word? Where do we look at those things? And some people say, well, then how can you change your bias? Because I grew up a certain way. I had a certain education. I, you know, I just have a certain basis of knowledge. How can I change my bias? I would tell you, I can't change your bias. There's only one that can change your bias, and that's the Holy Spirit. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. Because the reality is, by nature, we all start out biased against God. Some people think, well, no, I, I was never against God. I've always been before God. Unfortunately, God disagrees with you. Because in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, And you hath he quickened, that means to be made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. To be dead spiritually is not, I, I'm not breathing, but it means separated from God. Death in Scripture, when it speaks of spiritual death, is always talking about a separation from God. Now, sometimes that involves physical death as well. But in Ephesians 2, he's speaking of spiritual death. But the Holy Spirit can convict a person of sin. The Bible says in John 16 and verse 8 that when He, that's the Holy Spirit, is come, He will reprove or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So, it's not my job, in a sense, to change your bias. I can't do that. That's what the Holy Spirit has to do. However, it's my job, and it's your job, if you're a Christian, to bring the Word of God, which the Bible says is sharper than any two-edged sword, to bring the Word of God to people in a clear and gracious way and pray that the Holy Spirit might use what we say to open hearts and minds to Christ. It doesn't mean that we say, well, I can't change anybody's bias, so I just don't talk about it. No, God said we're to use his word. It is a sword in the sense of it, it pierces the hearts and minds of people and let God's Holy Spirit do the work in their hearts that only he can do. So the message that we are going to be looking at tonight is moving on from why foundations matter is to this, origins. Where did I come from, and why does it matter? Because we all came from somewhere, and I believe it does matter, and we'll talk about that a little bit more tonight. The message of the Bible, you could really sum it up very simply to say it's creation, the fall, that's sin, and then redemption. 
It's really God's plan. It's creation, fall, and redemption. God created, then mankind fell into sin, and then God brought redemption through Jesus Christ. Of course, the Old Testament, we see all of that. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He's not here yet. We see him in the sacrificial system. We see him in all of the different things that the children of Israel were supposed to do in their efforts to follow God. While good, none of them were enough. Jesus Christ is the perfect priest. Jesus Christ is the perfect king. Jesus Christ is the perfect prophet. Every priest, prophet, and king that came before him, while they may have done some good things, they couldn't do it well enough. So Jesus fulfilled all that. Every sacrifice that the children of Israel offered while it was commanded by God, none of those sacrifices was sufficient to fully cleanse them of sin. There's only one perfect sacrifice, and that was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Another way that we could categorize history, if you will, is really through seven C's. Creation, that's the first part. Then corruption, that would be sin. Catastrophe, that was the flood. God destroyed everything that he had created and, and then started over again. Not completely, but most of the way. Confusion, as the languages were confused there at the Tower of Babel. Then Christ who died on the cross, and finally, we look forward to one day, consummation, when this all ends and we get to the book of Revelation and all those things take place that we look forward to. So when we are discussing origins, it really comes back to where did we come from? And when we look at the Bible and we look at the world that we live in, really there's two major ways of looking at it. And I know some will say, well, there's some individual things in between. We'll talk about some of those. But when discussing where we came from, really, you can either say God created it all, God made it, or we can say, well, no, we evolved. We came from something else and we changed into what we are today. And some will like to say, well, this is a, the debate between religion and science. But tonight, as you think about this, I want you to kind of follow along with me in your mind because I believe it's not a debate between religion and science, but rather a debate between one religion versus another religion. You say, well, why do you see it that way? Well, it's the difference between do I believe God's word or do I believe man's word, which is a belief. No, none of us was there to observe creation take place. In fact, no one ever was there to observe it take place. Science, by definition, can't answer questions unless they can observe it with one of the five senses. That's just the nature of science. It has to be observable. And we'll talk about that a little bit more tonight as we get into uh, the, the lesson. Some people would say, well, we need to reconcile the Bible with science because they don't always seem to match up with one another. See, I don't believe what we need to do is to reconcile what God says to what we have said. Rather, we need to reconcile what we say to what God has already said. Because again, what I say doesn't matter because man's word is always sub what God's word has said. Now, the only person who was there to observe creation was God. So, while some would say, well, there's got to be a middle ground, we have to find a compromise. You can't find a compromise with a God who says, you're either for me or against me. There's just no compromising with him. God is not a God of compromise. 
Yet we as human beings are people of compromise. We, we like to compromise. We like to find middle ground. And among people as we're working through relationships and lots of things, I'm not saying there's no room for compromise on, on communicating with other people and all those things. But when it comes to God, if he truly is God, then there's no compromising with him. He's either God or he's not. Now, when it comes to observable science, right, both the creationist and the evolutionist will use observable science to defend their beliefs. And that's legitimate, right? You look at the fossil record. You can go and dig in the ground in particular places around the world, and you can find all kinds of fossils. I love, I've loved this since I was a little boy, going down to the Houston Museum of Natural Science and seeing all those dinosaur bones and walking through there. And I was really sad when they took the big dinosaur exhibit out of the front when you walked in. Now I know they have the whole big dinosaur wing, and I've been through that and seen all that. I love seeing those things. It's fascinating to me. Those are observable things. But one person who believes God made it all versus another person who says, well, it all came to be over time through evolution, they're both looking at the same evidence, but they have very different conclusions as to how those things got there. The only way you and I can determine what is true is to either believe what God has said and or to try to look at clues that are left to try to determine what happened originally. But I would tell you that's the difference between observable science and historical science. Observing something is seeing it with our own eyes. If, if I go to the museum, I'm observing those bones. I'm observing those fossils. But I don't really know how they came to be in the place that they were, right? If you went out into a field where they were digging up fossils and you saw bits of bone and plants and other animals and various things all jumbled together, what could you observe from seeing those fossils? Could you tell what it was like when those creatures all lived? Could you tell that they lived together? Well, not really, because you weren't there to observe it. Could, could you tell what it was like when they died? Not fully, because you weren't there to observe it. The only thing you can really tell is that they were all buried together, because that's the observable science. Now, it, sometimes a scientist, and they're trying to make conclusions about how that came to be, but at that point, they've moved beyond science. Now it becomes belief, right? Which belief is religion, okay, at that point. So science is a wonderful thing. We're not against science. Science is the ability to observe things and then learn things about the world that we live in, and we've gained many wonderful things from science. So believing in the Bible does not mean you're anti-science. Some people would try to hold that. No, in fact, I think someone who believes in God will want to know more about science rather than less because they want to get to know their God better who created all things. For example, the evolutionists would say, well, natural selection is the evidence for the Darwinian process. See, the creationist doesn't ignore natural selection, but rather he looks at it as the natural changes within species, right? Just like if you had uh, two different dogs at your house and they had puppies, those puppies would look a certain way based on who their parents were, and over time you could create a whole new breed of dog because you had different parents to start with. And so that can all follow in the natural selection process. But the only way I can understand the position from 
God's word is to go to the word of God and look at what it says. So that's really where we're going to spend our time tonight. Genesis chapter 1. Hope you had some time to read through chapters 1 and 2 this week. Tried to give a little bit of homework as you're reading about that. Let's read just verse 1 together. If you have it in your Bible, you can read it out loud with me. If not, just listen as others read. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Very good. So, just looking at verse 1 for a minute, we see who or what was there in the beginning? God, very simply, right? Now, just a few notes for you as you're studying and thinking about these things. This name for God, this Hebrew word, is the word Elohim. There are a number of different words used for God in the Bible. Elohim was a name that spoke of his transcendence, of his, that he's high and that he's lifted up. In fact, it's often, and in this, in this verse here, it's used in the plural sense. This would seem to point towards the idea that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not fully explained in this verse, so we don't take all of our Trinitarian views from just this verse, but it seems to give clues in that direction, that God used a plural form of the word to communicate who he was, that he was there in the beginning. The next word after God is created. What does it mean to create? Well, it's a very interesting verb. In fact, this verb that's translated for us out of the Hebrew into English as created is only used when the subject is God. So you can read the whole Old Testament, you read the whole Bible, and you will not find a single place where anybody else created. Now, you and I make things, right? We bake cakes, we build houses, we make cars or whatever. We make things, but you and I don't create. There's a different word translated when somebody makes something using materials to make it. So this is a special word. This word created is used only of God. So it's something only God can do. He created, and the idea of this is he's making something out of nothing. You say, well, how do you know that? Jump down just a couple verses. Verse number three says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So he spoke it out of nothing. The Latin term for this is ex nihilo, that out of nothing he spoke and it came to be. God created. That's a very important word as we study Genesis 1 because this idea of creation is really a big debate for some people. Where did we come from? We came from God. God created. God is the founder and creator of life. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then we saw in, see in verse 2, it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So God is going to do this work. It's all something that God does. Verse 3, we already read it. God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So when God speaks, it comes into being. There's no pause. There's no space in between this. Notice he says in verse 4, And God saw the light, that it was good. That's the other thing you'll notice. As God is creating, everything he creates is good. 
It's beneficial. It's positive. That, that's a wonderful thing. That tells us something about our Creator, doesn't it? To know that what God creates is always good. Now, what we create is not always good, and we don't create in the sense that God creates. I understand that. But the things that we make don't always work out like we intend for them to work out. You know, one time when I was growing up, we were trying to bake a dessert, and my siblings and I, we worked hard. We made this. It was something that my mom would make a lot, and so we said, we're going to make one. You know, We want to make this nice dessert, and it looked great. It came out of the oven, and it was all sticky and covered in good sugar and or so we thought. We took a bite. It tasted so salty. Something got messed up when we put the ingredients in. It just tasted so bad. There was no making it good. We literally had to throw it away because it was so terrible. If you've cooked, you, maybe you've had that experience, right? It's not a fun experience. But when God created, he said it was good. Everything was good. Notice in verse 5, it says, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, just to pause for a moment on that word day. The Hebrew word is yom, the transliteration Y-O-M. That word translated day has brought about a lot of debate, especially among people who would try to say, maybe we can reconcile the creation account in the Bible with the evolutionary account that many scientists hold to. And I say many because not all scientists hold to. There are many wonderful scientists who, all, who believe that God created it all. So being a scientist doesn't mean that you don't believe in God, okay? So not all scientists disagree with this position. So, but what is this word day? Is this referring to some long period of time? Some will hold to that. Well, it's this long geological age, it's not just a day like we think of a day, but it's, a, it's an age. Now, what would you say to that? Well, several things. First of all, he says the evening and the morning. So it's the idea that this was sun up and, and sun down, which we would think of a typical 24-hour day. There's 12 hours, give or take, of light and 12 hours, give or take, of darkness. Another thing that's interesting to note is there's also an ordinal number attached to it. It says the first day. And in fact, in other places, we see the second day, the third day, and so on. Every single time that in the Hebrew, the word day is associated with an ordinal number, it always refers to a 24-hour period. So it's just how the language works. If you said day and you said it was the first day, second day, third day, in Hebrew, you would, everybody would know you were talking about regular, normal days. Another interesting verse to look at when it comes to how long that day was is Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11, where it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So the normal understanding of Exodus 20, 11 is that God created the earth in six literal days. Because he said, well, and God set apart the Sabbath. He's using that as an example for the Israelites to follow. He's not saying there was some Sabbath period that lasted for an extended period of time. This was just a seven-week or seven-day week or six days where God created. On the seventh day, he rested. Now, we're going to get into some more of the verses here, but I want to make a couple more points here. Because based on verse 1, we say, or I would say, that God is the founder and creator of life. God created the heaven and the earth. So because of that, 
If God is the founder and creator of life, then everything is under his control. It's all under his control. You say, why? Well, the creation must be subject to the creator. That includes forces of nature. Remember Jesus, when he calmed the storm with his voice, he said, peace, be still. A real literal storm, thunder, lightning, the whole kitten caboodle was calmed with a word from Christ, peace, be still. Why could he do that? Because he's the creator. He can put into subjection any enemy that comes against him. The Bible says that no weapon formed against thee shall prosper. Well, why not? Because he's the creator and founder of all things. Even creatures, there's no animal or, or some sort of being that has any ability to overwhelm or overpower God. And of course, people. No person can bring an attack against God that God can't handle because he's the creator and founder of life and everything's under his control. A second thing that I think we can make a point from this is that if God is the founder and creator of life, then we must also obey God's laws. Let me just take a minute. We'll look through some more of these verses, and I think you'll see what this is saying. So on day one, it says, He created light, and He called the light day, and the darkness He called night, evening and morning and first day. Day two, it says, And God said, Let there be a firmament, I'm in verse 6, in the midst of the waters, let it divide the waters from the waters. So now we had the sky divided from the sea, right? It says, and God called the firmament heaven in the evening and the morning was the second day. Again, we see the ordinal number, second day. We see evening and morning. He's following this same um, way of saying it over and over again. Verse, I'm sorry, Verse number uh, 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. Again, another mention that God's creation is always good. It's important to remember because we look at storms and a lot of things that go on in this world and say, those are bad things. We'll talk about where those came about, but that'll be next week as we talk about the catastrophe there that comes in. Yes, sir. I see. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, if God is stretching out the universe just saying this is what God has done, I think science has determined that there is a expanding of the universe going on, correct? I mean, astronomers have looked out there and said, well, we think this thing is continuing to expand. That, to me, that in no way contradicts the fact that God created it all. He says he did something out of nothing. Now, I can choose to look at that and say, well, then it has to be a big bang, but I, I'm ignoring all the other things of what God said when he spoke and it, it came into being. 
Now, in a sense, don't misunderstand this point, but in a sense, when God spoke and it happened, that, that was pretty quick. Um, but it wouldn't have been a big bang in the sense of, of what might be commonly held to in that idea. Anybody else want to add to that or anything? Okay. All right, so if God's the founder and creator of life and everything's under his control, if God is the founder and creator of life, then we must obey God's laws. Let's look back again. We're going through this list of the days and what he created on each day. So he caused the dry land to appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he sees, and God saw it was good. And then God said, verse 11, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. I love those statements. God said it, and it was so. God said it, and it was so. We serve a God when he speaks, things happen. When God acts, things get done. There is no like, well, we'll see about it. God speaks, and things are accomplished. Wouldn't it be nice to live that way? I mean, we, we do a lot of talking, right? And nothing gets done sometimes. Uh, we, there's a lot of ink that's been spilt about our coming election next week. There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of things. Wouldn't it be nice if we just spoke and it got done? You know, the reason it doesn't work that way for us, it's because we're not God. But when God spoke, it got done. Verse 12, the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind. The tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Now, just a note here, because one of the positions that someone coming from a, an evolutionary perspective might say is, well, what about the changes? What about the things over time? There have been changes. It's observable, and there are still changes being observed today. But the changes that we observe today have all been changes within the kind. So, for example, you can, through breeding, even through natural selection, you could, over time, breed a horse with longer legs or shorter legs. You could uh, breed a flower that has a bigger bloom or a smaller bloom. You could bring, breed fruit that is larger and, and riper of a certain color or fruit that is smaller within its kind. But it works today, I, we, I believe, based on what the Scripture says, the same as it has in the sense that you can't breed things of two different kinds. They, they don't breed together. Cats and dogs don't breed together, but cats can breed with other cats. And so God can create a dog, and from that dog, you know, lots of different kinds of dogs can come about. But you'll never get a cat, no matter how many dogs you breed together. And for me personally, I'm very thankful of that. But uh, some of you may love cats, so that's okay. And uh, <laughs> they're very nice. I don't want to get into that debate because then I'd really be in trouble with the cat people or the dog people, whichever side we took there. That being said, I want you to see that things reproduce after their own kind. That's a very important point when it comes to creation. So again, it's not a question of whether there can be change over time question is, there's no change of kinds. It's still within the same kind. Notice it says, God saw it was good. Verse 13, the evening and the morning were the third day. And then we see in verse 14, God creates the sun, moon, and stars. Also, those were good. He made them to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night. Verse 18, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. That's verse 19. 
Verse 20, God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures. So we had the birds and the fish on the fifth day that God created. And uh, you saw that we had birds in the firmament above, flying in the sky. We had fish living in the water beneath. So God created those. They were distinct. They were separate. They were doing their own thing. But God created them, and they were good. Into verse 21. Verse 22, it says, God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. In the evening and morning were the fifth day. Then verse 24, we see the beginning of the sixth day as God created all the living or moving creatures on the earth. So this was land animals, right? He says, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. Notice that term is used again. Cattle and creeping things. So God created a cow and he said, have more cows. And they stayed cows. The cows didn't change into something else. Creeping things. So there weren't lizards that then became something else that then became something else. They were all staying within their kind. And beast of the earth, after his kind. He repeats that, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. God saw it was good. And here we get to our part. This is when God created Man and woman, look at verse 24. And God said, let us make man in our image. Quick note, he says, let us make man in our image. Again, I think pointing to the triune God that we serve. This next phrase is very important. After our likeness. God is saying here, he created us in his image. Now I'll come back to why that's so important in just a minute. But I just want you to make note of that. Because he created us in his image, and then he gave us a job. You see there in the middle of verse 24, he says, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So we were created in God's image, and we were given dominion over the creatures of this earth. So God has placed us here as his representatives, right? We've been given a powerful position because God gave it to us. So this is one thing that often comes into question and we need to be very careful about. We are here to have dominion over this earth, yes, but we're not here to destroy this earth for our own selfish purposes. You say, why? Because God's the one that gave us the purpose of being here. We're here as representatives of God, not just to fulfill our own selfish desires. So we should take care of the earth that God has given us. And yet the creation, the animals and plants aren't more important than the people that live there. And so there's often a big wrestling in our society today of, of what should we do about green energy and about all these things. I believe we should protect the planet. God gave it to us. And we need to pray for wisdom that we make Godly decisions when it comes to those things about how we protect what God has given us. It's a gift from God, and God's given us a responsibility to take care of it. But at the same time, the souls of men, women, boys, and girls are far more important than uh, a little plant or a frog or a bird or something else. So back to the point, if God is the founder and creator of life, then we must obey God. God's laws. I want to give you a couple thoughts underneath that. 
it would be foolish to have any other gods before the God who made everything. Right? If God made it all, then why would we have some other God? Remember, that's the first commandment. If you're here this morning, what's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There's only one God, right? So it would be foolish to have any other gods above the one who created everything in the first place. Secondly, and this is where we're going to go back to that idea of being made in God's image, it would be foolish to make an image of God because God already made us in His image. Right? Remember back in verse 24, it says, Let us make man in our image. So why would I make a graven image, try to make something else and say, This is an image of God? Because God's already done that. Isn't that pretty neat that God cared enough about you and me and he made you in such a way that he says you are created in my image that's pretty special so it's foolish to go out and try to create something else and say no no i'm not the image of god really this over here is the image of god remember the children of israel did that when they made the golden calf and they said these are the gods that brought you out of egypt that was foolish clearly those were not the gods we've been made in the image of god doesn't make us God. We're just made in his image. Does that make sense? So to try to create some other false version of it and say this is God really is backwards. A third point under this idea is on obeying God's laws is that if God set aside one day to rest from his work, then if we are walking with God, we should set aside a day to rest from our work as well. Let's look at these verses again. Look at verse number 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Notice, male and female created he them. So the ladies were not left out in this. Sometimes people say, well, you know, that following God thing, it's, it's such a male-centric idea. No, God created women to be in the image of God too. There was not some sort of, they were of lesser importance. We've got to be very important careful men that we don't try to take too much of what isn't ours our, our ladies were created in the image of God as well and I'm thankful for it we'll talk a little bit more about how God created ladies and what he has a purpose for them as well notice verse 28 it says and God blessed them and God said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and of over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So God gave them a purpose to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion over the earth. So I want to make a point here because it's very important. When God created human beings, he created them male and female. There's two genders. The world we live in today, people say, well, there's a lot of others. You may want to claim anything you want to claim, you're free to do that, but it doesn't change where you started from, right? I mean, I can say I'm a monkey. I can say I'm a, a, a Porsche, but it, it, it doesn't change where I started from, okay? And I just think that's important as people think about that. Again, it goes back to foundations, doesn't it? Starting point. This is very simple. God either created you as a man or he created you as a woman. Now, again, if you disagree with that, really... You just have to deal with whether you're going to follow God's word or the word of somebody else. He says here, then, God told them to be fruitful, 
multiply and replenish the earth. Again, if he's created male and females, we know the way God created us, the way we can reproduce is male and female together doing that. That's the way it was in creation with all the animals. That's the way it is for human beings as well. The only way you can fulfill the command to be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth is one man and one woman together doing what God has told us to do. He says that we're to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Verse 29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. God says, I'm giving you all this fruit to eat. I've given you everything you need. He says, and to every beast of the earth, everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. God gave us, and it's okay to eat the things that God has created, right? Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was, like he put an exclamation point, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So that's chapter one in a nutshell. I know there's a lot more could be said and a lot more that we could go through. But very simply this, where did we come from? God. And why am I here? Why does it matter? Well, God created us for a purpose. Chapter two is going to expand a bit on that purpose. But we can very simply say, again, based on the word of God. If you take a different starting point, you're going to come to a different conclusion. But if we stand on the word of God and what God says then we have to come away and say, well, I came from God. He made me, and God has a purpose for my life. Because that's how God started it all out, and that's how it's continued down from that point. Third thing we can notice, because God is the creator and founder of everything, first of all, He has everything under His control. Secondly, we must obey His laws, and we'll see a little more of that in chapter 2. Thirdly, if God is the founder and creator of life, then we must realize that He is also a redeeming God. He brings redemption to His creation, and we'll see a little bit of that this week, and we'll see more of it next week. One verse to think about when it comes to that is 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. One of the things I love about the Bible is God's Word interprets itself. So if you have a question about what one part of the Bible is saying, it's often helped to make sure you're thinking about what the whole Bible says. And I realize it's a long book and it says a lot of things, so that takes some work to do. But one of the things based on 2 Corinthians 4, 6 that we can understand about the creation of God making light out of nothing and shining light into dark places is that was a picture of that future salvation that God would bring to us. When He shone light into the darkness, He shone it in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So how do we see God? It's through Jesus Christ. How do we know God? It's through Jesus Christ and what He did for us. Jesus is referred to as the light of the world. Jesus is the light that shows us God. And we understand God because we understand who Jesus is. So when we study the person of Jesus, we learn more about who God is. And we better understand ourselves then because we are created in whose image? 
God's image, okay? So I know a lot of this stuff is really just simple foundational things, but it's so important that we understand our starting point, understand our foundation, where we're coming from, because then when you read your Bible, when you hear sermons preached, when you talk to other people about the Word of God, when you read uh, other Bible study books and things, you kind of have a framework to hang some of those other elements on. Let me give you one more verse, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. Because some people say, well, but how do you know? Can you really know that God created it? Well, the scientists can't really know that it all evolved to get to that place, the evolutionary scientists, any more than the creationists can say, well, I know that God did it. The only way we can know is through faith. But the reality is it requires faith on both sides. I would tell you, and I, I realize this is going to be an opinion here. This is my opinion. This is not inspired. This is not reading out of the Word of God. But I would think that it would be easier to believe that God created it all like He said He did than to believe that it all came about by chance, that it all just happened over millions and millions of years. Because you and I know from observation that things don't tend towards order, they tend towards disorder. And if you're not sure about that, we've got a couple two-year-olds here we'll send home with you tonight, and you'll know that that's true. But it's not just a two-year-old that causes disorder, we cause it ourselves, right? Our clothes wear out, they get old, they fall apart. Now, they don't get better with age, they get worse with age. Now I know we would argue certain things may improve with age, but most things don't. Most things break down. Most things fall apart. Hebrews 11.3 says it this way, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So, again, I'm letting you know where I'm coming from. This is a faith position. But it has to be a faith position, even for somebody who would disagree from, with me. They're coming to it from faith as well. It's just their faith is in something other than what God has said. So a few more thoughts here on chapter 2, and then we'll be done. I'm not going to read through all of chapter 2. As we look at this, we are expanded a little on in chapter 2 on God's purposes then. Why it matters. We saw in verse 1, uh, as God created everything, he, he talks about then in verse 2, on the seventh day that he rested and he set it aside as a special day, as this uh, holy day, this Sabbath day, at a time when he could rest. There's a description then of God's creating in detail of man, that he formed man out of the dust of the ground, verse 7, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Then he speaks about the Garden of Eden, where it was located, the various geographical things around it, the, the rivers and things. And then, before he did that, sorry, I wanted to point out, God also puts in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, these two special trees. We'll get back to them in a minute because God had some additional commands, some clarification about those trees. Look, if you will, at verses 15 through 17. 
says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. God created us for a purpose, right? And it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God created us for a purpose. What was the purpose God gave to Adam? Well, he was created to be God's representative. He says, have dominion. He says, give names to all the animals. God gave him a job. That's something my kids don't like it, but I remind them of that work existed before there was sin. They say, oh man, because they like to say, well, work is bad. No, work is not bad. Work is good. God gave us a job to do before there was any sin. Isn't that interesting to think about? So God gave him a job to take care of God's creation, to dress it and to keep it. We are also created to obey God's commands, to do good and not evil. God defines what this is for Adam and Eve. Now, as you read through Scripture, God gives more and more clarification about that. But in the Garden of Eden, he just gave them one command. Did you see it? Verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man. This is that word commandment being used for the first time. He commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now some of you say, well, but they didn't die when they ate of it. It was the spiritual separation that came from God. Spiritual death in Scripture is always separation from God. It's a very important point to make. So they were separated from God because of their sin, if they did that. Well, now I'm getting ahead to next week, but I think you all know they did eat of that tree. They did break the one command that God gave for them to do. A couple points there. God didn't make His commandments overbearing. He didn't lay on them so much stuff that it was just impossible to please him. God, in fact, made it very simple for them to follow him. And I would tell you today, it's also simple to follow God. In fact, Jesus said, to come to him, we must have the faith of a child. It takes simple faith to follow God. Just like it was simple faith for Adam and Eve to believe what God had said and to then obey his commandment. You see, our faith is made evidenced by our obedience to God's command. So God created us for this purpose, to obey His commands. And then another thing I want you to notice here, that God supplies everything we need to fulfill His purpose. We have this origin. Where do we come from? We came from God. Why does it matter? We've been created for His purpose. God has given us everything we need to fulfill that purpose. Well, notice some of the things God provided. He provided a clear list of responsibilities. Right? He said, subdue the earth, have dominion over it, dress it, keep it. God said, God then clarified the difference between right and wrong. Right? He said, you can eat of any tree, but just don't eat of this tree. So God was very clear. God's word is, is very clear on, on what he wants us to do. Often people will struggle with, well, I just don't know what the will of God is. God's will for you is to obey his word. Now we often think, well, you know, especially I worked with teenagers for a long time. Well, what's the will of God? Who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to go to college? What kind of job am I supposed to have someday? Where am I supposed to live? 
God makes all those things clear as we obey his word. God was very clear on the difference between right and wrong. And then notice God also made a helper. Here's where he made Eve, right? And he made this helper, Eve, for two purposes, to provide companionship and to provide help. Notice in verse number 18, this is the first time in the Bible that God says something's not good. What was not good? It was not good that man should be alone. So he says, I will make him and help meet for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and he brought them to Adam and to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to the cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord, yes, go ahead. Don't apologize. Yes, ma'am. Yes. So what we're having here is just a more in-depth explanation of what had already, been, had already taken place. So it's not like he created male and female and then he turned around and created male and female again. Think about what happened on the sixth day. God spoke and all the creatures were made. That didn't take God all day to do. He just said a word and God does this. God gives Adam a job and he starts bringing the creatures to him. And Adam starts naming the creatures and he looks around and he says, well, there's, you know, there's a male and female bears and you know this and that and he says i'm alone and i need a helper and god sees he's alone and god makes from a woman right there that all happened on day six yeah that's a good question so in chapter two here this is just then explaining in more detail kind of the series of events it's kind of like when that couple you know they're walking around and you say oh yeah they got married and then you sit down and you say now tell me your story now eve had the most unique story of meeting her husband probably if any woman has ever had because uh you know here she was created out of his rib okay that was a pretty unique story but uh we'll talk about that here for just a minute so couple things I want to point out, though, because sometimes people will look at this where the Bible says, well, God made woman and help meet for him. So the woman was just made as a helper. What does this do for women's rights? That's a good question. First of all, I want you to notice being a helper is not a bad thing. In fact, God calls himself a helper. Let me read you a couple verses. Psalm 33, 20. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 70, verse 5, But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. Thou art my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tarrying. Or Psalm 115, verse 9, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So don't take help in the modern context of what we might think of when we think of someone being the help, like they're of lesser importance, okay? So this is not... God demeaning women or any of those things. Often we read sort of our modern context back into what the Scripture says. Understand it, and again, Scripture interprets Scripture. So if you want to understand what is a help to God, understand that God himself says he's a help. So ladies, this is another way you're created in the image of God, and it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. That being said, this is not, we've got to be careful not to argue from silence. This is not saying that men should never help their wives. That's not what it's saying. So men, you can't sit back and say, well, I don't ever have to wash dishes around here because God told you to help me. 
That's not what he's talking about, okay? He's talking about the idea of someone who is a completer. So how do you know that? Because he says you're the help, meet for, or sufficient to basically fill up the empty parts. Man needed companionship. He needed somebody to be with him. And I'm thankful for the lady that God put with me to give me companionship. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. In fact, I would tell you I'm more of a mess when she's gone than she is when I'm gone because I just feel empty without her. She's a wonderful completer that way. So it has nothing to do with whether or not she's talented. Shandy's a lot more talented than I am in a lot of things. It has nothing to do with her value. She's just as valuable as I am in the eyes of God because she was created just like this. Male and female created he them. That really ties it together and puts them on an equal standing. And then in the next chapter, in chapter 2 where we're at, we see the man. And then he creates a woman to be a helper or a completer for him. So this was not a description of headship in marriage. They were one flesh. The description of headship in marriage, which is another topic for another day, that came much, much later. It was dealt with specifically later on in the New Testament. That idea of the, the husband and the wife and, and this order in things. They were both unified in body and in spirit because they were without sin. That's why you can see at the end of verse, or, or chapter 2, verse 25, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. There was no sin. They were completely open with each other. There was no shame between each other because they were just together and they were doing what God created them to do to keep and to uh, subdue the earth and name all the creatures and fulfilling those responsibilities that God had given them. And they were doing this as one flesh. Go back a couple verses, though. I want you to see this creation of Eve specifically. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now, maybe you've heard it said, ladies, God created man out of dirt. He didn't create us out of dirt. So that's, I don't know if that's a signal to why ladies are sometimes cleaner than men. I have no idea. That's probably not. That's just a silly point. But he says in verse 23, here's the point. And don't miss this. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. So God made Eve from a rib out of Adam not because Eve was of less importance, but to demonstrate to Adam, which should also demonstrate to us, that a husband and wife coming together are truly one flesh. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's not like God took Adam and then he took something that was left over and made Eve out of it, so it's of lesser value. No, it's of wonderful value. Your rib's a very important thing. It's very close into your core part of your body. And he takes this rib and he makes woman out of it. And Adam, then his response is to say, this is my flesh. This is my bone. We are one together. We are one flesh. And together we are made in the image of God is the idea. He says, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That's really just what that means. Out of man, taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and they shall cleave and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be 
one flesh. So the example here, right? Because Eve came from Adam and they were one flesh, so a man and a woman, when they come together to be married, they as well become one flesh. Now, I'm thankful I didn't have to have surgery and have a rib taken out when I got married to Shandy. And yet, that's the idea that spiritually speaking, when we're married, we've become one flesh in God's eyes. Now, that has a whole lot of ramifications, doesn't it, for how we should live if we're married, that we're one flesh together. He says, explains that man leaves his father and mother, so there's a separation from anybody else, and that this Husband and wife come together and they become one flesh. He says, he shall cleave unto his wife. That's why when marriages are broken apart, it's such an awful thing. because It's a ripping apart of one flesh. And it often doesn't work well, does it? Uh, it's very common in our culture and in our society, but it's a very painful thing for many people involved because you're taking apart something that has become one flesh. So, Woman was made out of man. So origins, where do we come from? We come from God. God made us for a purpose, to live for Him in obedience to His commands. We don't need to make another image of God because God's already created us in His image. We are to fulfill the purpose that God made us for. Next week, in continuing on in this, we're going to really focus in on Genesis chapter 3 because here's a huge turning point in the story. God's made everything, and then we see corruption take place. And it doesn't wait around. You see that right in verse number one. Take some time this week if you can. Read those verses, chapter three, and think about that, and think about what happened, what took place. I hope you're thinking about this. I know this is not all new to most of you. Maybe some of you, parts of it are new, parts of it are not. But re-examining our foundations, where we come from, why they matter, and how does that affect the decisions and things that we make in our life? I would just tell you in closing that if I'm really God's, and if he created me, then I want to live according to his plan for my life. And uh, there's a lot of purposes you could live for. There's a lot of other, as we talked about this morning, there's a lot of other kings that you can serve. But serving your creator is, the, I think, the highest calling that you could have in your life. And it's a wonderful thing. Serving your creator can look very different for different people, can't it? Because God's given all of us different things to do. But ultimately, we're to fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. So as we study our Bibles this week, as we interact with other people this week, may we keep God first. May we keep him as the foundation of it all. Because he made us. He has a purpose for us. And uh, we'll see how then next week the, the corruption comes in. How things try to take that away and the devil is fighting against God and he's trying to twist it all up mess it up with sin but God still has a plan God still makes a way it's not over it's just a, a hard part of the story father help us to think biblically to study your word to really learn it and let it affect everything that we do thank you for creating us thank you for giving us a purpose help us to fulfill that purpose as we live for you this week we love you in Jesus name amen